Okay, we're going to turn to the epistle of 1 John. We're going to return there. I'm going to read to you from chapter 2, verses 18 to the end of that chapter. And then we're going to pick, on, pick up on where we left off last time. So, the first epistle of John, chapter 2, verse 18 forward. My little children, or little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard, the Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been with us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. But we have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledges the Son hath also the Father. Verse 24. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of Him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is true, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that we, that he shall appear, but when he shall appear, forgive me, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Verse 29 says this. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. And repeat verse 28 and 29. Little children. Abide in him. But when we shall, he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. So today, we're going to look at particularly that last verse. We covered 
verse 28 in some detail last time. The epistle, the writer of this epistle, John, uses that term throughout this letter, little children. Now that's not a qualification for us to switch off and think that we're actually talking about the little children. This is an affectionate letter. This is a father writing to his children in the faith, of course. This is about affection. This is about relationship. You see, as we move from verse 28 into verse 29 of chapter 2, what we shall see is that these two verses, of course, are connected. What we see in verse 28 is the Apostle John encouraging the believer to abide in Christ. And that when Christ appears, we shall have confidence and not be ashamed. These words, friends, are so important to you and to me. That when he comes, and be assured of this, he shall come. There will be a day, and neither you or I know that day. But there will be a day when those heavens will be split open. And the Son of God shall appear. And as he says in Thessalonians, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And he shall gather together those who remain. That day awaits. John is saying this. Abide in him, children. Believers, abide in him. So when that day does come, you have confidence. Before him, that is coming. Do you today have that? Do you today have that confidence? If that was to happen now, you'd be his. You see, we move on to verse 29. And what we will see, what we will deal with, is really what this abiding man, when I say man, I mean mankind, man or woman, that that person will look like. What does the abiding man look like? We've been encouraged throughout already these two chapters. We, we're going to complete this second chapter today. We will go on being encouraged by this letter, by the Apostle John, to abide in him. Keep his commandments. Love one another. Love God. Do these things. Verse 29 sums all the letter up in many ways. The whole letter is summarised here. In this verse 29. Verse 28 tells us of a man who abides. And verse 29 shows us what an abiding man looks like. The mark of an abiding man. Allow me to phrase it as a question. Today, which is the 23rd of May 2021. How do you know? That you are abiding in Christ. How do you know that you are abiding in Christ? It'd be interesting, wouldn't it, if we were to stop there and ask each and every one of us to go home and write three or four paragraphs. What the answers would be. 
goes through your mind this morning as I ask you that question, as I ask myself that very question this morning, how do I know that I abide in Him? How do I know that I am that child of God? Let us read verse 29 again. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. If you know, if you know, the Greek word there helps us to understand the depth of what that word there no means it's intimate it's an, there's an absoluteness about it there's a definiteness about it this is assured we heard it say by the words of Jesus assuredly if you know absolutely know not know about but know of if you know that he who is the he of course you might say, Ryan, how simple are we being? He is the Christ. If you know that He is righteous, what John is saying here is this. If you know that all those things that I've already addressed in this letter is true. We've read... We've tried to go through the first two chapters. We'll go through more as the months, maybe the years. Okay. But if you know this, Christ come in the flesh. But Christ is God. We doubt these things as we've gone through this letter. That in this Christ, in this God, in this one to whom the apostle says, I have touched him. I have been with him. I ate with this man. And this man, John says, is God. Do you know that? That there is no darkness in him. That he is the light. That he cleanses us and forgives us of our sin. That he is our advocate. But he came to be the propitiation for our sins. These things the apostle has declared. These things he has reminded the children there. The believers there to whom he is writing to. Remembering that there was things going around. Gnostics going around. Saying that Christ didn't come in the flesh. Remember the context. And if he did come in the flesh it was just mystic appearance. Not real. John is dealing with the doctrines here that this God, this Christ who came in the virgin womb of Mary, this, this Jesus to whom he has lived with, this was the very God to whom was promised. This was and is the Messiah. And if you believe this, if you believe he is righteous, you see we pause, don't we? Wisely pause and say, do we? Do we? You see, Jesus Christ is righteous. We will see throughout the Old Testament, the Psalms, certainly in the book of Romans, we hear it said, there is none righteous, not one. And then as we read through, we think maybe Darren touched it some weeks ago in Romans 
three. There's only one righteous. Jesus Christ the righteous. If you know that he is righteous, this morning we ask ourselves, do we know that? Or we just do elude ourselves to these doctrines? We tick them off. I understand propitiation. I understand he is the God who forgives. I understand this question isn't this morning, do you understand the doctrines? The question is, do you know that Jesus Christ is the righteous? That he is the one to whom John is saying, who came from heaven, who was born of the virgin womb, who dwelt and lived with us. You know that. He is the saviour of the world. John goes on, doesn't he? And it is this part of the verse which I think must be dealt with. And it says this. You know that everyone who doeth or practices Righteousness is born of heaven. What does that verse do to your heart and to your soul, to your mind this morning? You know that everyone who doeth righteousness is born of him. What is being said here? What is being said? This verse, if it's took on its own, can cause great damage. As much of scripture can be. We're not here to pick a verse out and to hang it up and preach on it without any context at all. That causes huge calamities. So we put this, or we have this, in the very context of what we have already read and what we will read. He, or ye, know that everyone who doeth or practices righteousness is born of him. What is being said? Is it this? In order to be born again, one must practice righteousness. In order to be born again, one must practice righteousness. I ask you friends, is this what the apostle here is speaking of? Is he promoting here a gospel that is work-based salvation? Is he saying this? If you live a life of righteousness, God will cause you to be born of him. I want to tell you today there are people even now who will say that. People will say that, that we can earn our salvation. That we can do enough to get the attention of God. That your good works, those things that you or I do, or did do, will attract the God of heaven. You've heard it said, haven't you? That he saw something good in me. That that righteousness that I had, it just got his affection. Is that what John is saying? I think not. In fact, I dare say this, if we think that it is, we are believing another gospel. We believe in another gospel. John says in the very context that we'll deal with here in his love, 1 John 4.10, not that we love God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4, 19. We love him. And can you include yourself this morning in that? We love Christ. Why? Because he first loved us. Let us not forget from the same writer those famous words in the third chapter of the Gospel of John. You know it well, I'm sure. Nicodemus comes to him by night. How do I enter the kingdom of heaven? Does one have to be born of his mother's womb? Jesus makes it absolutely certain that one must be born from above. One must be born of God. It says in John 3, 6 this. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Flesh cannot, cannot, you cannot be born from flesh. The spirit cannot be born from flesh. This is a complete and full work of God. The apostle really, doesn't he? We, we, we quote these things so often. The apostle, if you like, affirms this, confirms this, adds to this. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are ye saved. Through faith. Listen to this. Not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's a gift, friends. Do we know what the word grace means? We use it. Grace. How many times do we read it? How many times do we pray about it? Some of us might name our children. Grace. 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 By grace. For it is by grace. We use these terminologies with one another. We pray these things. But do we know what it means? Many of you might say, yeah, I know what it means. Unmerited favour is what it means. What's that mean? It means something that you did not deserve to which you have been given. You cannot earn grace. If you can earn grace, it is no longer grace. You cannot earn God's favour, friends. You cannot. Otherwise, grace is, as I've already said, no longer grace. If you today have had your eyes open to the gospel of Christ, it has been done by God, the triune God at that. God the Father sent His Son into the world to die a death in order to save sinners from their sins, and He gave Him His Spirit. Why? There are many answers to that, but the primary reason is this, to quicken you, to make you alive, that you might be born from on high. So is this a work-based salvation? Now maybe there's none of us who here in here who would say we believe in a work-based salvation. We read this, we read the verse again, he who practices righteousness is born of him. He who practices righteousness is born of him. My friends, if you or any other take this 
and turn it into a work-based salvation. Be assured, you've misunderstood the gospel. You've misunderstood the gospel. Your righteousness cannot save you. Your righteousness cannot save you. The Apostle Paul understood this, didn't he? If you read his testimonies, if you read Philippians, not myself achieved righteousness. In fact, he calls all that now dumb. He calls it dumb. He hands nothing of his salvation upon this man who was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. That this man who knew the law. In fact, in somewhere it says he was counted as blameless. I think it's in that Philippians chapter. Not all this that saved me, but it is Christ's righteousness that saved me. You see, so many, even today, subconsciously, I believe, are still clinging to the thing that I can do. What I can do to get God's attention in order to save me. Friends, if that is our view, again I say, we've misunderstood the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. What then does this mean? For many of you, you may know the answer. You may be living in it. But I want to ask you, for the good of our walk with him, for the joy of our walk with him, why? Because the works-based salvation gets so tiring. And one way or another, we all find ourselves in it. We all find ourselves in it. What is John saying? What is it that John is encouraging us with, actually? We have established... That this is not a works-based salvation. You cannot win God's affection by what you do. Let me say this. Taking our context. Because you have been born again, you will practice righteousness. That's the issue because you have been born from above, you will now, at the very least, desire to live in a way that is righteous. You see the posit positiveness, if that's a word? Do you see how, how positive this is? Do you see how encouraging this is? That's the point of what John is saying and doing. He's encouraging the, the believers. You see how assuring this is. He is giving you and I an evidence to know that you are born of Him. How many of you have said, am I really saved? If you haven't, start asking those questions. Have I experienced that which Jesus told Nicodemus? Have I really been born from above? And what we're dealing with here is to answer that question. 
You either have or you haven't. And one of the evidences, friends, as I jump my notes here, is that you love righteousness. And you practice righteousness. You see, these texts can be so difficult to deal with because what some want to turn this into is a, is a perfectionism. You're not going to be perfect this side of eternity. But if you've been born from on high, you will now have a heart that loves righteousness. You see, if you have truly believed in Jesus Christ, if you have come to the knowledge of His saving grace, you too will seek to live a life of righteousness. You will long to become like your master. You will long to be like your elder brother. You will long to please your father. This is what it means to be born again. It's not just a spiritual experience. It's a reality, friends. You don't love those things you used to love. You don't do those things that you used to do. See here, John is not actually speaking about that imputed righteousness that becomes ours by faith in Christ. But rather speaking of the sanctifying righteousness that should be in the life of every believer. Let me explain that very briefly. We understand, don't we? We've heard throughout our Christian life, just as Abraham experienced. When was he accounted righteous? Before circumcision or after? Before. It was accredited to him because he believed. And he became righteous. He was accounted as righteous. Imputed righteousness. What makes us righteous? Our deeds and our doings? Oh friends, do not be mistaken. What makes you righteous is that you have said, Jesus Christ is my saviour. That's imputed righteousness. But your account now... Is full of Christ's righteousness. When you stand before the God of heaven, and you will, how will you enter in? In the merit of Christ. So in some sense, I'm going I'm to throw you here. This is very much a work of salvation, isn't it? But not yours. Of another. Christ works, Christ's deeds, Christ's righteousness. It's that which saves you. We've dealt with this so many times, even as a church over the last two years, that Christ came and lived and fulfilled the demands of the law, yet as the prophet Isaiah declared, yet he was treated and regarded as a criminal. My friends, it was his doing that saved you. It was him being the propitiation. It is him who was taking the wrath of God. It was him who fulfilled the law. So yes, in one way it's a work of salvation. But it's the works of Christ. It's the works of another. And today if you have called upon Christ, you have been imputed that righteousness. What a gospel. It's amazing. But here John is saying this. 
He's speaking of a sanctifying righteousness. What's that mean? What it says. You now as a believer. You now as we heard last week. That one who has been filled with the Spirit. And you know what? It's called the Holy Spirit for a reason. Because it's holy. And if the Holy Spirit lives in you. You are now a sanctified person. Yet being sanctified. That you are changing or should be being changed from one degree of glory to another. You see, every child of God should be displaying a progressive righteousness. Every child of God should be displaying a progressive righteousness. Ever changing. Ever moving. Ever growing. Ever maturing. Ever nailing sin to the floor. Departing from evil. Hating wickedness. Friends, why are you doing that? To earn your salvation? Oh no, but because you've been saved. Because you've been saved. This is often called, isn't it? Bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. What's on the tree, friends? What's on your tree? I see here what the apostle is doing is reassuring us, is helping us. How do I know that I am saved? I don't know whether you've been in turmoil over that. Maybe you still are. How safe you are, you are in a wonderful place. A wonderful place. A painful one. But a wonderful place. Am I saved? And if so, what tells me that I am? Is it because I've been circumcised? Oh no. Is it because I've gone through the waters of baptism? Oh no. Those things are done because I've been saved. They don't save you. They cannot save you. You know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Listen to what Joel Beek says. Righteousness is the inevitable fruit of abiding in Christ. Righteousness is the inevitable fruit of abiding in Christ. It is the manifestation of an abiding in Christ. I want you to hear those words. One, primarily, is to deal with your soul this morning. Abiding in Christ means pursuing Christ's righteousness. And gleaning from it the spirit-worked power to do what is righteous in God's sight. I have spent years, I tell you the truth, prior. And I've gone into my private time. And I've gone on another Sunday saying tomorrow I will be better. That in and itself, there's some integrity there. That in itself, there's some hunger there. But be assured, and if we heard Russell Wright last week, know this, it will not be achieved except by the power of the Spirit dwelling in a believer. Are we trying to earn and work salvation? Are we even trying to live the Christian life in our own strength? Not attainable, friends. 
It's not doable. You know, if I say to myself in my strength, today I'm going to be better, tomorrow I'm going to be even better, there's only one outcome, and it's this, failure. But that day of Pentecost, as Russell, in my, my understanding last week, I received it and was encouraged. Because it, when it says this, as Russell dealt with last week, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why? Again, we could talk for that for hours. But know this, is that we can live the Christian life. We can live a Christian life. Gleaning from the Spirit, worked power to do what is righteous in God's sight. Again, you often hear me speak of a pendulum. We have a condition today where, where we're chosen, even we're elect. We're Christians, however you want to term it. Those will be saved will be saved. He who began a good work will finish it. True. Very true. Assuringly so. But then we have one side where we think we're called to then sit on a dead chair, smoke our cigar and live our world. My friends, it ought not to be amongst us. Antinomianism is called. Do what we want. We're saved. No, friends, we're called to righteousness. We're called to live in holiness. We're called to deal with our own sin. We're called, you know, you know so many of us, haven't we, recently even spoken like this. The world I just don't belong to anymore. Why? Oh, friend, if you believe and if you feel like that, it's because you belong to another place. You're just passing through. You're just passing through. Yet we've seen, haven't we? And I say reservedly so, but I have to say, over the last 12 months, Christians have so clung to this life as if there's no other place to go. Fear. Fear has been so amongst us. We live as this life is everything. Friends, we are here but for a moment. And we have lived ashamingly so. And I am talking about the so-called church. We have lived as if there is no place called heaven. We have lived as if this is everything. We have lived as if this is the best life now. It's not. In fact, I dare say to you only as a friend, as a brother... This is not the best life now. We can inherit that. We have that to look forward to. Even if I speak, if you are indeed in Christ Jesus, there is a place being prepared for you. That's our home. Home is heaven. And we've lived. I, I tell you, I want to confess to you this morning, I've been very reserved of my estimation of the church in the last 18 months. Fear. And I tell you what, when we get on here, we're going to deal with fear. We're going to deal with it. It ought not to be so. I digress, don't I? As ever. Let me 
Let me say this, brethren. As we read this verse, some person will drag this out and make this a noble verse. But I want to say this is sweet, soothing language. If you love righteousness, and I mean that, if you love righteousness, not passively, not kidding yourself, if you can be part of today's Hollywood world, you have a problem. If you can sit and watch things that blaspheme the name of Christ, not only in word, but in its content, today you have a problem. If you can listen to music that is blasphemy, not only in word, but in content, you today have a problem. <coughs> And we have to be serious. Now such were some of us, wasn't we? We've lived like that. We've done those things. We look at our own sin and we lament daily. How did I live like that? But if you today have been born anew from above, those things should be, you should be saying no. Why? Because you're righteous in and of yourself. If you're hearing me right, it'll be cost now. But because God dwells in you, that's what the Apostle is saying. Because God dwells in you, you will walk in righteousness. Not perfection, in righteousness. We have dealt with so much already in this letter. Some of it has put its, puts us under the lamp. Some of it just so encourages and strengthens us and gives us that assurance. And Really, that's what it should do. But I want to say that these few words that I'm dealing with now, sure, if you are a believer, they should be sweet, sweet words. Mm. But yes, I have battled. I Yes, I have done. Yes, but my heart laments over sin. Do you lament for your sin, brethren? Do you do that deed again and you are broken? You see, when the Spirit comes, said Jesus, He'll convict the world of what? Righteousness. Yeah. Of sin. Is that happening in your life? Yeah. So that's what a righteous man, righteous woman looks like. There's a lamentation, if you like. Yeah. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Friends, as we go through this epistle, we'll be finding out what this really means. What righteousness looks like, looks like in a believer's life. What does righteousness look like in a believer's life? Do you understand this morning? I won't talk about self-righteousness. None of that. We're talking about an evidence that God dwells in you. And that you abide in Him. I believe the scriptures are clear that if the Holy Spirit dwells in a person, that is the promise. You are the temple of God. You see, see the, the, the unbelieving world, sadly, some part of the culture of the church say, well, there in 1 Corinthians 6, your body is a temple. You know, ride your bike, eat lettuce, make sure you don't have a McDonald's, do those things. It's the body that God's given you. I suppose there's an element of truth to that. But my friends, if that is the height 
of what we're talking about, we have missed the mark. Christ lives in you, therefore be holy. Righteousness, you will look like this. You're putting sin to death. You're living rightly before God. Listen to this. You're living rightly before one another. You see, this was the problem at Corinth. They were, they were professing all these gifts. Yeah, that not love. You can have all the accreditations that you put upon yourself, but if you do not love God, nor love your neighbour as yourself, you are greatly failing. The question there for is this, are you bearing fruit? Are you today bearing fruit? Know this, a Christian is a chained man. Really, that is the simple message of today. A Christian is a changed man or a changed woman. And the process that we now are in is this. We have been justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And we are on the Christian journey. And we are living a life of sanctification by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. But sometimes, friends, you've got to get off the balcony. You have to do something. Justification is of God. Sanctification is with God and the saint. If you're on the balcony, and I don't know if you understand what I mean, because I'm really, I'm not making it very clear, but I'll do my utmost. David should have been at war. He should never have been on that balcony looking over at Bathsheba. The kings were at war at that time. David wasn't doing what he ought to have been doing. So today, if you're on the balcony, if you are flirting with sin, if you're in a place that is causing you to live habitually in sin, flee from it. Flee from it. You see, one of the, and I've said this before, but one of the greatest problems within the church, sadly, is pornography. <coughs> and it will grab every man in particular. It will grab a man. I want to say to you today, these are not in my notes, but I have to address it. If you are anywhere near it, flee from it. I beg you, flee from it, because it will eat you up, it will have you. Flee from it. Any sin, flee from it. That's why, friends, and I say again, we talk about fellowship. Fellowship isn't just a hug. Fellowship isn't going through one door, getting a cup of tea, going through another. Fellowship is true. Fellowship, fellowship is in. It's it's deep. It's deep. We weep with one another. We rejoice with one another. We confess our sins one to another. We need one another, friends. This Christian life, we need one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to pray for one another. To love one another. We need to do these things. So that, you know, on that day we can say, by God's grace, we made it. Yeah. We made it. Again, are you bearing fruit, friends? Are you bearing fruit? Does your life display righteousness? 
You can't not tell the tax man that you had that £200 extra come in. You can't do that. You see, I'm just using little examples. You can't, can't not be anything other because you love your master. You love your maker. I want to say to you, if you are that person, you can go and rejoice and be glad. And know, if that is you, if you are progressively growing in sanctification, if there is a progressive righteousness displayed, yes, displayed, displayed, seen, known, it's obvious that Christ has given you a new heart. It's obvious that this man is not what he was. He has met with God. Know this, you were born of him. That's the encouragement that this verse and context gives us. If this is you, know this, he's been born of God. This man has a new heart. This man has changed. This is not what he used to be. Oh, how we rejoice. Today, friend, is it you? Is it you? Have you really met with Christ? Have you been born on, from on high? Questions that are eternal questions. Have you been born? You may say to me, I don't know that I have. But you might not say anything to me. You might say, I don't know whether I have. I don't know whether this is just an empty profession. I've ticked the box, I've read my daily devotions, I've attended church, but I don't know if I've met with God. I say to you today, cry out unto God. But tomorrow you may die. Tomorrow you may die. And as we say so often in the, in the open air, that we ought not to refrain from saying it from within. It's appointed unto men once to die, and after that comes judgment. Oh dear friends today, have you been born from above? Have you experienced that true new birth, which as Jesus said is the only way to heaven? Oh friends, I pray be so. But I say again, if it not be, turn from your idols unto a living and a true God.